and welcome to The Watcher's Diaries, a weekly podcast all about Buffy. I'm Mary. And I'm Froggy. And this week we're talking about season four, episode 12, A New Man. And we are once again joined by Caroline. Yay! Yay! Here to discuss our favorite chaos exes. <laughs> oh. Any any episode with Ethan is always a good time. And this is the last one. I know. This is. This is. We will we will see him again in the comic, but this yeah. is the last time we will ever see Ethan on screen. And I am very sad about that. I know. What a lost opportunity. He yeah, he was just he's so much fun. Yeah, speaking of lot, we're gonna talk about lost opportunities because like when they were trying to plan this episode. There were some other ideas that were bounced around, and I'm real salty we didn't get one of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's why she should have come back every season, so you could have done all those ideas. Right? <laughs> I agree. We should have just Ethan Rain every yeah, year. Yeah, there, just- there should have been that. There should have been an Ethan episode in every season because he just brightens up everything, mm-hmm. and it's also a good. It's always a good fun episode because there's never. <laughs> any kind of serious high stakes thing going on like it's it's just him being him no it's just when you think about the aftermath that's horrific like small children being murdered on halloween well, yeah. yeah and having the memory of that for the rest of their lives yes. at the time it seems fun <laughs> we never yeah yeah that's that's one of those things that until we started talking about it on the episode it just Nice. You know what? Sometimes that Sunnydale amnesia is a good thing. Yeah, ignorance is bliss. Well, it's always like I always think about because we we recently rewatched for like the hundredth time. We rewatched Gravity Falls, and there's an episode where everybody had like you see people getting their minds erased with a device. So mm-hmm. it just always makes me think that that's what Sunnydale needs. They just need. <laughs> The men in black to come in. Men in black or the the society of the blind eye, which is in Gravity Falls, to come in. And because you always think about that. You're like, there's all this weird stuff happening, but no one seems to notice it. Why wasn't the mayor on that? You feel like the mayor would have been on that. But no, they just made up lame excuses. Like PCP. I I don't think I have any announcements. Hmm. Okay. So let's just get into it. Um, A New Man aired January 5th, 2000, or January 25th, 2000, and I cannot talk this morning, (laughs) and its synopsis is, disheartened after learning that Buffy has been keeping secrets from him, Giles goes out drinking with a former friend and evil magician, (laughs) but Giles wakes up with more than a hangover. He's been transformed into a demon unable to speak English, and utterly unrecognizable. He must find a cure before Buffy kills him. All right. Yeah. yeah. Do, we, do we have any good foreign titles? Sorry, just evil magician. That makes it sound like he just wears eyeliner and is just like, where's your card? And then he pretends that it wasn't your card. No, I think that would fit. That would that would suit him very well. <laughs> Or like the guy in um She-Hulk who like accidentally sends people to other dimensions yes. during his magic show. Yes, yes, that that's another that's another. But he wasn't evil so much as just inept. So again, cutting out everything that is a new man 
In French, we have the ominous 314. Okay. German, metamorphosis. Hungarian, the new boy. So that, that's a little weird. <laughs> and Polish, someone new. Oh, I kind of like someone new. Like 314, I feel I feel is jumping the gun. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I even like when when I was looking, when I was looking over them, I completely forgot what 314 meant. Yes, you don't so come long. out of this episode remembering 314. Yeah. You remember Giles as a monster. You remember Ethan. You remember Spike and the crypt and everything. Yeah, but and, and Giles, Giles and Ethan's shirt. Exactly. <laughs> yes, once again, shirt twitching. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he just doesn't, it just does and it's so funny because it just doesn't work on Anthony. Like, they found the absolute... <laughs> craziest shirt in their wardrobe department because like what it's he's so silver yeah because ethan is wearing like a red shirt before mm-hmm. like they could have put him in like some cup but no we found the most garish shirt that we could have for ethan's wardrobe to put on anthony of course but i like mary's title chaos boyfriend chaos boyfriends yeah i think we might need to go with that one for forget the international title mm-hmm. if you okay. don't if you don't know us by now <laughs> I don't know why you're still here. <laughs> I mean, if if we haven't chased people off by how much we like Xander and discuss how he's not as awful as people. I've had to leave. I've left a lot of the Buffy groups because there's so much Xander slander. Well, I just like to go into those and like do the list of all the times the world would have ended if Xander didn't exist and be yeah. like, now let's talk. We wouldn't have, again, we wouldn't have gotten past the first season if it weren't for Xander. No, that's like, i trying not to go on a full rant right now. But my that is my favorite thing because mm-hmm. it's also my favorite thing to point out whenever anyone does the, eh, Spike's so awful for Buffy. I'm like, do we all forget that Angel just was like, oh, well, she's dead. <laughs> like he was going to sit in his apartment and let her die if Xander hadn't shown up. It's a terrible case of the writers not knowing what to do with Angel for 90% of the first season. Exactly. That's I that's didn't it. know what to do with Angel for the entire time Angel was on Buffy. Yeah. And then, but again, like he got to his own series and they're like, you know what? Now we can do things with him. This now is when he lets people die, it's deliberate because <laughs> fuck them lawyers. Oh yeah. Fuck yeah. them lawyers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to get to Angel because there, there's a lot of fun stuff that goes on there. Are you actually going to review Angel? Yeah, we're going to do Angel when we're done with Buffy. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. So we're we're going to we're going. We're we're And it's fun cuz I don't remember like 70% of Angel. It's going to be fun for both of us when we get to Angel. Like do not remember most of that show. Oh. <sighs> We do get a previously on this week. That's just, it's chocked full of goodies. Uh, some Willow and Tara stuff, some Commando stuff, some Spike stuff, some Buffy and Riley stuff. Basically everything and anything you could possibly need to know coming into this episode. Then we're in Buffy's dorm room, Buffy and Riley making out on the bed. Riley asks if there's any chance they're going to be interrupted. And Buffy says, nope. Willow said she was going to be at the science library till late. I know what comes next is a setup, but honestly, the moment Buffy was like, nope, I'm like, well, now she's not going to be. Yeah, well, because that's that's how it always goes. Like, no, we are completely alone. Nobody is going to interrupt us. My roommate isn't going to be back. Nothing is going to happen. We are going to be able to get it on. (laughs) Buffy, lock the door. 
But Willow has a key, so that would help. You put the sock on the door, (laughs) is my understanding of how this works. I didn't have a roommate. Oh, I have. I I won't share this. I'll I'll share the story later off. off You you did in the freshman. Oh, did I share it in the freshman? Oh, my God. Coming back from the convention and. (laughs) Oh, my God. So, with the sock on the door have I could not tell because they don't really get into it. I could not tell if Riley was in on this or not. No. No, he's not because he would he's not have come not. out crossbow blazing if he'd known there were going to be civilians at this surprise party. Yeah. Okay. No, he definitely he definitely wasn't in on it because he looked as surprised as Buffy when And then he'd have to hide that crossbow, like toss it out in the hall and be like, guys. Yeah, he yeah, he 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 had that very awkward mm-hmm. It was, it was a very fun, like, again, like, going back and forth with a love-hate relationship with Riley, like, that was such a cute moment. Yeah. <laughs> and in Doomed, last episode, he was devastated that he hadn't kept his secret identity a secret, mm-hmm. that anybody knew about it. So, yeah, there's there's no way that Riley would have, I don't know, not, like, Buffy would be like, why aren't you bringing weapons? Uh, I'm sure we could handle it. So he, there's no way he's in on this. Or he, yeah, or he would have stashed, you know, he would have stashed that crossbow somewhere. Yep. Anyway, Willow comes bursting through the door a mere moment later saying they've got trouble. She was down in the rec room and it came through the window. Vampires? No. Vampires don't breathe fire. Willow, weren't you supposed to be at the library? You need to get your alibi straight. Well, it's, it sounds like it came while she was in the library. No, she said she was in the rec room. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. No, Buffy said she was supposed to be studying in the science library, but Willow says, no, I was in the rec room. Yeah, yeah. The three of them head out, Buffy carrying a crossbow. As Riley says something about calling for backup, Buffy says there's no time. She tosses him the crossbow and pulls out a stake. As she enters the darkened rec room, Willow turns on the lights and surprise! It's a birthday party for Buffy. Guys, do you not remember the last time you tried this? Yes, I want to note that Giles, I mean, we're jumping ahead for a minute, but Giles flat out says to Buffy, like, I would never have done this. This is all Alexander. You don't need enough dark things jumping out at you from the dark. But also, the last time they threw a surprise party, everybody almost ended their friendship. I don't, I don't know, Willow, Xander, maybe you're trying to like make up for it or something like, no, this is we're doing it right. Now Joyce doesn't have to clean anything up. Yeah, it's. I, like yeah, I again, I love, I love Giles. He's like, no, no, I had absolute. I take no responsibility for this. This was not my fault. Oh, Giles, I claim, claim nothing. Willow is so proud of herself, just all smiles, and she says, like, looks like there's going to be no killing that night. Yeah, credits. Still awesome. We return from the credits to the party where Giles is appreciating the space, saying it reminds him of the activity room they had back in public school. (laughs) Which I feel this is a good time to remind everyone that in Britain, public school is more akin to our private ones. Mm -hmm. Yes. A public school in Britain does charge tuition, unlike a state school, which is basically what we think of when we think of public schools, (laughs) Uh, which then leads to the question of like, why do they call it public? They call it public because they're open to all pupils, aka the public, regardless of locality, denomination, or intended trade. So it's just the school anyone can apply to, but you do have to apply and you do have to pay tuition. Yes. And in the prom, when Giles and and uh, Wesley are standing around awkwardly as chaperones, Wesley, of course, not hired as a chaperone or voluntold or anything. He's just there. Yeah. Uh, Giles says to him, like, yes, 
uh, going to an all-male preparatory school, we wouldn't know what this is like. <laughs> and then Wesley says, like, well, some chaps would dress up as girls for something, and then he gets cut off. But, yeah, that they didn't go uh, – it strikes me that probably Roger Wyndham Price would have sent Wesley to a boarding school, but it is like a watcher's academy. Mm-hmm, um, yes. But there must be, like, a boys' one and a girls' one if it's an all-male preparatory school. So – I think that's a bit of lore that changes a lot because, but didn't Giles go to like Eaton or something first? Um, They don't specify the name of the school, but there seems to be like, uh, like if we're getting into Angel and spin the bottle when Wesley has regressed to his 17 year old self, he talks about being head boy. um, And I think it's at like the Watchers Academy because there, there definitely is a Watchers Academy. Yeah. And you get into that. I don't know if it comes up in the comics because they're like, re- but see, they end up rebuilding everything. Yeah. Yeah. So it could also be, like, it could also be something like there are approved schools other than the Watchers Academy that you can send, mm. that you can send, especially boys, because let's face it, you know, in England when it comes, to, and especially when you think about the time that Giles would be coming up. Yeah, um, you know, but and then Wesley is quite a bit younger. Again, there's so many wibbly wobbly hand wavy things that we that they do later and decide later. Yeah, because I know by the time you get to the books um, that are Merrick's daughters, the Watcher Academy is definitely co-ed. Yeah. yeah. Um, but again, they've rebuilt everything because the Watchers were destroyed. So mm-hmm. who knows what these like fucking assholes back in like the 70s and 80s were up to. Mm-hmm. He begins to tell them of a prank he once played involving a dartboard when Anya announces she's bored and wants to eat. <laughs> Xander reminds her they talked about this and Anya immediately apologizes. She's sorry. That was rude. Giles should continue his story, which no doubt contains Treacle and the Headmaster. (laughs) Giles, a bit salty, she pegged it spot on, tells them to go eat. Poor Giles. As Anya and Xander depart, it's clear he just, he feels so out of place. Yeah. Sitting alone by himself. I would have sat with Giles. Oh, absolutely. I would have sat with Giles and talked shit about half the people in that room. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All these people invited to Buffy's party that we've never seen before and we'll never see again. Yeah, because at least like, and that was one thing that I really liked about Dead Man's Party is how Buffy commented about all these people. Mm-hmm. That she didn't know at her surprise party when she just wanted an intimate thing. Yeah, in this case, she doesn't seem put off. They, they're probably people from the various parties well, that we go to. She, yeah. So, well, Willow actually says that because Willow comes over giving Giles cake and asking if he's having fun. He is, but he says there are a lot of new faces. Mm. Willow says it's some kids from the dorm and some of Riley's friends. So, no, Riley had to know about this party. Because no way Willow knows Riley's friends. And Xander definitely doesn't. I mean, maybe they did not tell him what night the party was, but, like, I'm sure one of his friends would have met. Riley had to have known about this party. I think Riley is a dumb boy. Maybe, maybe Riley, maybe Riley was like, oh, that's right. That's tonight. (laughs) That could be it. And, okay, look, a month goes by between Doomed and this episode because... 
Doomed picks up right after Hush. Mm-hmm. Hush took place just before finals. Yeah. It is now January 19th after Christmas. In that intervening month, Willow and Xander could have gotten to know Riley's friends at least a little bit. At least Willow would because she'd go to class with some of them. That's my theory. But like Willow, uh, not Willow, um, Buffy and Riley are very comfortable together like in the bed. There's no more of the awkwardness and the like longing and the arguments and everything. And... Uh, this is going to come into like, well, wait, it's been a month and you still haven't told Giles about any of this <laughs> of like why it's so egregious for him not to know, because if you're watching it, like a binging, it mm-hmm. feels like, well, Giles, come on. She was going to tell you. But if yeah. you think about it, it's been at least four weeks of everybody having all of this and him still making maps with the little pins tucked into it. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Giles. Before either of them can say anything else, Buffy comes over hugging him and wanting to introduce Riley. Oh. And, and while this does not go well at all, it's still a really cute scene. It is. It is. It really has that feeling of introducing your boyfriend to your dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she's like so excited to do this. She tells Giles Riley is her boyfriend and he looks a bit stunned by that. <laughs> boyfriend? Have they been dating long? Instead of answering, Buffy tells Riley that Giles used to be the librarian at the high school. He's seen the library. It's really gone downhill since he left. (laughs) Giles admits that he does miss it sometimes. So he retired. Riley, no! Oh, my God. (laughs) Riley, stop! I love Riley. You saw the school. You know what happened to Giles' job. It exploded. He clearly didn't do this voluntarily on a pension. It is so, like, again, it is such a dumb boy moment that it is, it is a very charming, oh. boys are stupid. <laughs> what, because he's not, like, currently working in front of you, Riley? It means that he's completely retired for the rest of his life? Is Giles getting, is Giles getting unemployment? Uh, well, the Rogers <laughs> Council certainly isn't doing back pay for him or anything or giving him a pension. <laughs> I mean, Giles Giles clearly has family money. I mean, we see his estate in England later. I know, I know. I'm like, but but it's so funny when you think like the school burned down. Yeah. So like he technically blew it up, but nobody knows that. Nobody knows that. But he should be getting unemployment from the state of California for that. Yeah. Well, all those teachers, all those staff members that are out of a job. Yeah, and there's they need they need they need unemployment. They need (laughs) Counseling services, they need... Man, nobody's taking care of these poor people. I'm sorry, but this is America. I'm sure they'd find a way to make it the teacher's fault <laughs> yeah, for not having yeah. a second job in the first place. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you are you are not far off. <laughs> not at all. They need, to, they need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Exactly. Bootstrap it up, kids. Ugh. Or working somewhere else. <laughs> Giles admits that he's between projects at the moment. And look... Buffy points out that Giles has no cake. Did it, Willow just brought him? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Riley hurries off to get some. Buffy tells Giles that Riley is just nervous. Because again, meeting her dad. Which, has Joyce met Riley yet? Could be. You know who should be at this party? Joyce. Just so Giles has someone else to talk to. So, th- so this question led me to realize that, like, we have not seen a lot of Joyce this season, and no. we don't see a lot of Joyce this mm-hmm. season. Mm-hmm. And there is a reason for that. 
Um, this was the year that Christine Sutherland spent abroad. In 1999, so probably about the time Joyce was sent away ahead of graduation, Christine and her husband, John, moved to Italy. The plan was to live there for at least the duration of a school year to allow their daughter to attend school there and organically learn the language. She did occasionally fly back to film an episode, but yeah, that's why there's like this major lack of Joyce in this season, because we see Joyce in season three, we see Joyce in season five, but there's no... Like, we barely see Joyce at all in season four. Like, we see her at the beginning, and we see her with the ones with Faith, and I don't know if we see her past that. We see her in Restless. We see her in Restless, but yeah, like, we yeah. barely see her this season. I and did not know she that was she living was... in Italy. Yeah, yeah, I did not know that. <sighs> it's nice, though, Buffy says, having everyone together for her birthday. Of course, one could smash all her toes with a hammer, and it would still be the best birthday she's had in a while. Jaws admits the credit for this really has to go to Willow and Xander. They did most of the planning as he, rightfully so, would not have gone with a surprise party. It's okay, though. Buffy says that Professor Walsh says that adrenaline is like exercise without the exuberant gym fees. This episode has just started and I'm already sick of Professor Walsh says. (laughs) As is Giles. Uh, Yeah, we we feel you, Giles. (laughs) He hasn't even met her and he already hates her. Oh, no, that's that's one of those things where we all have had that person where I've never met them, but I hate them. (laughs) Yep. I never met somebody that you guys have met and I hate them and I'm glad that I never met them. That's right. You did never meet her. (laughs) I I never met her and I don't want to and I hate her. Giles says that's very witty. And Buffy says Professor Walsh is like the smartest person she's ever met. Buffy! Buffy! (laughs) She really thinks she and Giles should meet. Well, then she should have invited her to the party. (laughs) Oh, no. She's like 40. She has way Uh, better things to do than hang out with a bunch of kids. Buffy! Oh, my God. Oh, my God, Buffy. Buffy. It is part of the taking your dad for granted thing. Yes. He's like separate from all the other people his own age in a way. So it's like, they all have lives. You don't need a life. You're my dad. What else are you going to do? Well, it's it's also kind of like when Buffy walked in when Olivia was there. Mm. Yeah. It, it was the same thing. It's like, you're not supposed to have this life that doesn't involve me. Why, yes. why is this woman here? Yeah. Oh, I can see you're busy. I'll just go away now forever. <laughs> <laughs> like, you don't get a private life. That's gross. <laughs> uh, I just love Buffy's skirt. And the, the, it's like a gold kind of satiny, silky. And then it's got like these uh, st- uh, diagonal stripes, like these crystals on it. It's just beautiful and very 1999. Yes. It's and so she chose, pretty. yeah, yeah. Like, and perfect for a party that she didn't know she was going to. <laughs> this is when Riley returns, handing Giles some cake and calling him Sir. <laughs> <laughs> Riley doesn't seem to have heard of Giles before now. And I'm going to get into that with Professor Walsh, that like Buffy is introducing him as like he was the librarian at my school and not like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. This is the watcher guy I told you about. Mm-hmm. I found that weird, too. It yeah. is, like, is it just because they're like at a party? But like, yeah, why wouldn't you have been like, this is Giles. He mm-hmm. was my watcher. You know, he trained me. Yeah, because Riley's only found out about the Slayer for the first time a month ago. But in the meantime, 
he did not get the the talk that like Oz and Cordelia mm-hmm. and Jenny, well, Jenny probably already knew secretly, they all got of like explaining and there was a globe and there's a moon and there's watchers and slayers and demons and everything of like the actual lore. He didn't go through Giles to get this information. He got it through Buffy, which yeah. is be very filtered and full of slang. The next morning, we go to Xander's basement of sadness, where Spike <laughs> seems to be moving out and taking Xander's stuff, like his radio. Xander tries to point out it's his radio, and Spike is all, what? You're surprised? I'm evil. That, that's a very bad roommate thing to do, though. Like, forgetting the fact that Spike is a vampire and, like he says, evil. Like, so many people I know have stories about roommates taking... Or trying to take shit that didn't belong to them. Well, when was the last time Spike had a roommate or crypt mate? It's it's been a, it's been a while. Yeah, Xander, you can take it stuff from him. You can force him to give it back to you. He can't hurt you. Yeah, and like because like he was with you know he he had Drusilla, which didn't really count because that was his significant other, and any of his other roommates he probably would have just killed because they were vampires and he didn't like them because he doesn't like anybody. <laughs> Anya wants to know what kind of place he's looking for. Probably a crypt, somewhere dark and dank, but not as dark and dank as the basement. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but Spike, the dank, the dank. (laughs) Anya agrees that it is rather depressing. And Spike says he's known corpses with the fresher smell. In fact, he's been one. That's it. Xander is ready for Spike to get the hell out. Wait! <laughs> Anya unplugs the lamp. She wants to give it to Spike for his new place. Xander says that's his lamp. <laughs> and Anya says it's a gift. It's tradition. She read about it. <laughs> True, yes, it, it's a tradition. Among friends, <laughs> among bitter enemies, they do not give away his lamp. <laughs> Look, he he sleeps all day. He's up all night. He needs electricity to see. (laughs) Spike tells her it's not going to have electricity anyway. It's a crypt. But what about running water? A fridge to keep his blood fresh? Wait, 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 wait. Spike does end up with all these things in the crypt. He has a television in the Uh crypt at one point. I cannot remember if they explain where this electricity comes from later. Uh... Well, it's like Angel has an, a full-on apartment in the first season, and it has electric lights and everything. Um, did he sign a lease? Does he have an <laughs> ID? Is there, like, a guy on the take who, like, owns real estate in Sunnydale who rents out apartments to vampires? Joe. Joe, yeah. Joe, vampire Joe, Joe does it. Yeah, he, vamp- he, has a, he has a thing going on. So why couldn't Joe have found Spike in an apartment? He, he, yeah. He can hook he can hook up a but let's let's face it in the 90s it was a lot easier to steal electricity and utilities and stuff yeah like i i like you you could really tap into stuff that you weren't supposed to so i figure spike's doing a lot of stuff illegally it's like how money was barely a thing on tv up until like I don't know, 2008 with the Great Recession and oh, yeah. economic crash that like everybody complained on Friends how they had such obscenely large apartments. And well, you know, money's not a thing on Buffy until season six and it's just for season six that you're suddenly w- noticing all of Buffy's new outfits every week, but also she's broke. A point, a point about Friends. 
and that a lot of people forget is that Monica's apartment was as great as it was because it was rent controlled. Yes. Which you can't touch that. because it was you, her grandmother's. It was yeah. her grandmother's. And they're pretending the grandma's still alive. And if you look at the apartment that Joey and Chandler have across from them, that's a shitty apartment that everybody should have. So yeah, like that's that they actually, there actually is an explanation for that. But otherwise, yeah, like, Everybody, like, what does everybody do for a living that allows them to live in New York City mm-hmm. for... Well, that was the thing that, like, people always point out about, like, Carrie Bradshaw. Exactly. And I'm like, yeah. But she wrote a syndicated yeah. column for the New York Post. She was making money. That apartment, when she got it, probably did not cost that much. When they go to, like duplex it or turn it into condos she has Aiden go in with her to buy it and then that becomes a thing when they break up mm-hmm. so like it just shows that a lot of people don't know how New York City real estate yeah works. yeah like like now and and also also a lot of times like with with shows set in New York a lot of it takes a um you just have to suspend your disbelief because if we had the tiny ass apartments that these people should have, you wouldn't be able to film in it. Exactly. Yeah. Anya says he should just get a hotel room. And Spike thinks she may be onto something. <laughs> if he could just get a bit of cash for a room with an honor bar. <laughs> so fun fact. So, you know, like we finally started traveling again. And so Panda and I were up in New Jersey last weekend seeing Hercules. And she turns to me when we're in the hotel. She goes, do you know what I miss? And I'm like, what? She's like, mini bars. I mean, I'm now an adult with mini bar money and there are no mini bars. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Hercules, is this like Disney's Hercules, the musical on stage? Mm-hmm. Okay. They're, they were trying it out in Jersey. So hopefully right. it'll go to Broadway. Who knows? But yeah. Okay. Yeah, we did. It was fun. Oh, this just makes me sad about what became of James Woods because his Hades is. Oh, yeah. Age. Yeah. 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 Um, every, every time I watch, every time I watch Hercules, like Hades was such a, uh, he had that, he had that nineties mobster Goodfellas yes. type thing that really worked for it. And mm-hmm. yeah, the fact that, that James Woods is now a crazy ass right winger. Yeah. When I say sad, it's not because he's dead. Anybody who's not aware. Yeah. Yeah. He's dead to me. Oh yeah. He's dead. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's speaking of like, speaking of Hercules, like, (laughs) Kevin Sorbo, Sorbo, you know, like, oh man. Oh, the disappointment. So many, so many people that I loved in the nineties are Mm -hmm. disappointing now. I know. I do not like it. And and to quote like uh, and then I also think about the uh, evil Hercules disappointed. <laughs> Xander oh. tells him to get out. Okay, but hold on. Since we're still on Hercules, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I've pushed us too far away again. It's okay. No, it's because okay. do you know who's going to be Hercules? Who is not going to let us down? Who? Brett Goldstein. Yes. Yes. Oh, Yes. Yes. I've not seen the new season yet. I'm I'm letting it accumulate. That's what I'm I'm letting it I'm yeah. letting it the- Oh we 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 have to watch it as soon as the episodes come out because Ted Lasso mm-hmm. is literally my girlfriend's like absolute favorite show. Yes. Yeah. And Rupert. Other Rupert. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He's, oh. he had a swishy coat. And I was just like, I love his swishy coat. <laughs> yeah. Tony is so good. Like 
I, I just keep I just keep yelling at the screen in the first two seasons, like, no, Rupert. <laughs> it's the fact that he's named Rupert. That's exactly really yeah. It yeah. me up yeah. so much. Yeah. It's like it's like evil mirrorverse Giles. Like it, exactly. Like if he'd really dropped out and never went back and just became like conservative instead and never got a real job and then is banging 20 somethings uh yeah wait till you guys watch this season and you see his office at like his football club uh-huh. It it is is very like evil Giles. Yeah, yeah. I'm 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 letting the se- yeah, I like I'm going to let the season mm-hmm. build up more cuz I want to watch cuz I always get mad at sh- like episodes like that that are so short because I'm like I need the next one now. Mm-hmm. Well, all I- the episodes this season are like double the length. Oh, They're cool. all like oh. 45 minutes because oh, okay. it's the last season and they have like so much to wrap up. Oh mm-hmm. good. So yeah, so you get okay. extra long episodes this season. Oh, good, good. I have a complaint about Anthony Head's career. Maybe a complaint to his agent or something. <laughs> okay. Um, Let's lodge our formal complaint. Yes, my formal complaint here. Okay, so obviously since this show ended, I've tried to see him in other things. Like I, in university, uh, watched Manchild, for example. Mm-hmm. This series, if anybody doesn't know about it, it's about a bunch of 50-year-old men who are divorced from their first wives. They don't see their kids anymore. They go out to nightclubs in London <laughs> and, as I said, bang women in their 20s. And it's not it's meant to be, like, male sex in the city. Yeah. And mostly it's uncomfortable. <laughs> anyway, but the problem is that he keeps getting cast in that role, like, Every other time I've seen him in something. Everything like, that I've what about Uther? Well, he was still a dick. Well, I mean, he was a dick. I was going to say, like, he he keeps getting cast as, like... Dicks. Dicks. And like, dicks who keep using their dicks in the wrong way. Like, he, yeah. Yeah. Yes. But, like... And he's he's very a- good at it. He's very yeah. funny at it. He's very believable as it in the sense of, like, yeah, I can see it. Not in the sense of, like, there's... We know, not personally, having never met him, <laughs> yeah. but he's a very sweet, nice man who, like, would never do anything like this. And he's been with the same woman for, like, 35 years yeah. and has kids and everything. But sometimes, like, I'll be watching a British show and suddenly he's there. I'm like, I didn't know he was in this. And once again, he's left his wife to be <laughs> with a woman half her age. They're having a kid together. So, like, there's an amazing sitcom called Motherland. I piss myself laughing over it. And suddenly he's in it, but it's that role. Yeah. And there's a, there's a show on Netflix called Good, uh, Feel Good, with this com- Canadian comedian, Mae Martin. And he's there as Charlotte Ritchie's father left her mother with <laughs> new women on the Tinder. And it's like, I don't understand this. It's like a dozen things he's in where it's the same thing over and over again. And we know that he's really good at, he should have Liam Neeson's career, basically. Like, I want Liam Neeson to have his own career, but he should be having, like, these kind of roles where he can kick ass as an almost 70-year-old man, but also be, like, have feelings and be dramatic because we can see, like, the depths he can reach. Mm -hmm. And he almost never gets to do that anymore. We need to call his agent. We do. Anyway, this is a Buffy pot. Well, we're talking about we're talking about Anthony Head, so yeah. it is still on track for being a Buffy podcast. <laughs> it is. We just want to see him do more things. We know he has the range. Yes. He played Frankenfurter, for God's sake. 
my brain my brain's still like realizing that he is the brother of Murray Head. Oh yes. From from chess is still like my brain. Yeah, my favorite version of Jesus Christ Superstar is the concept album. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I actually have it as a physical record. It belongs yeah. to one of my aunts. So it's like a, a big double record. Yeah, one one night in Bangkok came on at work one day and I'm the only one that's like Did you know that <laughs> Singing, al- singing along with him. Like, yeah, this is from a musical called Chess. <laughs> Done by ABBA. <sighs> okay. Back on track. <laughs> Back on track. Anyway. <laughs> Xander tells him to get out before he has Buffy come down there and kick him out. Spike honestly doesn't know why she isn't there already. Say goodbye. <laughs> shed some tears. Xander says it's because she already had an appointment with someone who's still scary. <laughs> to Professor Walsh and her office. So, the Slayer. They thought she was a myth. Well, they were myth taken. <laughs> Buffy is so proud of herself for I, that one. I but am proud no one of, else responds. I am proud of Buffy. She tried. It's a very awkward moment having to do this with, with Walsh. It's, it's going to get even more awkward. All this time, she was just sitting in her class. Well, most of the time. Professor Walsh says she always knew she could do better than a B minus, but now she understands her energy was directed elsewhere. The same place theirs is, only their methods differ. They use state-of-the-art tech and Buffy pokes them with a pointy stick. (laughs) Buffy assures her it's much more effective than it sounds. Professor Walsh is sure it is, just like she is sure there is much Buffy and the initiative can learn from one another. Walsh says she's working on getting Buffy clearance. She thinks she'll find their operation to be most impressive. Riley alone has captured 17 HSTs, 11 <laughs> vampires, 6 demons. I love the look on Buffy's face where she is already <laughs> dreading having to give her stats because while proud of her work, she's about to feel really bad for the initiative. All this hyping themselves up and and yeah, she tries to be impressed though. All Wow, and that's something. Good I mean, for you. For for a human. Yes. Who doesn't who who you know didn't really know about the world. It's, yeah. it's not well, bad. Xander have probably killed more demons personally than Riley at that yeah, point. Yeah. That that is a very awk for you. <laughs> Cuz there's no way Buffy's like keep she, we know she keeps a diary. Yeah. But she's probably not like making a little tally every night of like how many. Like, she probably has to, back when Giles was her watcher, she'd probably tell him how many, but she's not keeping track now. Every time she gets one. Yeah. When Walsh asks her how many hostiles she's slain, she once again looks a little nervous. Sadly, we don't get to hear her tell them as we go to Giles' place, where he's doing a bit of, like, dusting. Or doing a bit of, like, cleaning. Dusting off some bookcases. As he's dusting, he sees a book that strikes a chord. Pulling it, he flips through the pages and crap! Some demon prince is supposed to rise that night. We can assume he calls the dorm to talk to Buffy, but when she's not there, Giles says they have no time to wait. Where is she anyway? Walking with Riley. Sorry, I just appreciate that Giles is being proactive because last episode, he happened to have this talisman. Like when they said the word of Talos or something like that, or Valios, he was like, hmm, that strikes a chord with me. And then later on, he sees the picture and he's like, oh, fuck. And then he yeah. finds it in the drawer, and then, like, the demons had gotten in through his back door to the garbage. I don't know. <laughs> As we know, that... Bathroom window. Yeah, sure. Three of them, somehow. 
snuck in without him noticing. Point is, this time, now when something peaks his m- memory, he's like, oh, I gotta look up right now or I'll forget. So good for you, Giles. Even with the feather duster in your teeth. <laughs> <laughs> Buffy is walking with Riley, who's more than a little awe of her tales. Buffy assures him those were just her best stories. She conveniently left out all the Buffy breaks her butt stories. <laughs> but she killed the... And she did the thing with the... And she drowned. Oh, good. Nice of them to finally discuss that. <laughs> yeah. Not that they're actually going to discuss it, but still. Riley continues to mention things, and Buffy, she's feeling a little weird about it. So she tells him it's no big. Really? Who wants ice cream? Said it before. Gonna say it again. All of this perfectly highlights the oh-so-subtle thread of toxic masculinity attached to Riley. Because, yeah, the scene in Walsh's office was funny. Buffy just annihilating what they think is their impressive record is amazing. But it quickly turns into Buffy downplaying her accomplishments in order not to hurt Riley's fragile male fifis. Oh. <laughs> and, yes, right now he's trying to get her to not do that. But the longer the relationship goes on, especially into next season, he begins to resent all she can do and begins to let his jealousy eat away at him. Just don't, don't this whole cry. thing was doomed from the start. It was. We Buffy said that. Yeah. <laughs> if if he could have gotten away from the initiative and they could have actually worked at because it, it would be great for her to have somebody like Riley mm-hmm. who he is capable. Yeah. He may not be as capable as she is, but he he does have talents and he knows about this world. The two of them fighting together and like getting into a rhythm. And being able to use their individual talents to help yeah. each other, they could complement each other very well. But again, like this whole thing is just setting up for disaster. Like you, you, you know, it's not like I love, I love a man who is capable, but his girlfriend, wife, significant other is even more capable than he is, and he's just like, that's my girl. That's Wash and Zoe from Firefly. Yeah. It's what we yeah. love about them so exactly. much. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, she's so tall. She's mm-hmm. muscular. She's got, like, wide shoulders. She is the deputy captain. I'm not thinking of the right word right now of the ship. Yeah. And Wash is like, that's my girl. Yeah. And, like, he's he's funny. You know, yes. he like he can and he but he has his own he has his own abilities. They just complement each other. You know, mm-hmm. like he's he's got this he's got this beautiful woman who mm-hmm. can kick anybody's ass. And he's just in the back giving the thumbs up like you get him, baby. But it's 500 years in the future. That's how yeah. long it might take. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> but yeah, like that's and that's the thing. Like when you get when you get somebody who who can compliment you like they could have it could have been a really interesting dynamic if Mm -hmm. it wasn't doomed from the start yeah but alas i do think it's realistic buffy's first Mm -hmm. serious relationship with a human male that she'd never had to downplay her strength around angel or spike Mm -hmm. actually unleashes it really with spike but the first guy that's gonna be around for months She's going to change herself a little bit because society. Yep. Riley really thought Buffy stopping the world from ending was like a major once in a lifetime sort of thing. And nope. Now he's wondering what the plural of apocalypse is. (laughs) Buffy again tries to downplay it. It's only because she's been doing it since she was 15. 15? (laughs) 
And she's got the whole preternatural strength thing. Oh, he knows. He's seen it. He he doesn't even know if he could take her. Why is that even a question, Riley? Like, uh, why is your first thought, like, I don't know if I could beat you up? Like, what? I don't think he wants to beat her up. It's just more like if they had a competition, like in martial arts or something. Mm-hmm. He's not like a violent toward his girlfriend kind of no, guy. No, and I, I mean, I don't think, no, that I, uh, let me clarify. Yes. I don't think Riley was like having thoughts of future domestic abuse. <laughs> <laughs> Why is your first thought when you're like, your girlfriend has supernatural strength? Like, well, I wonder if we were to compete with each other, if I would, but like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm looking for excuses not to I know. Riley. But I mean, speaking of toxic masculinity, I think it was Andrew Tate spit who said that like every guy when he enters a room, he's secretly thinking, I could take him, I could take him, I could take him. Like, who could I beat up? Who could I kill? Mm-hmm. Or someone like that. It might have yeah. been Andrew Tate, might not. Oh. And it's like, maybe just you, dude. What is your problem that you think like that? I know he was an MMA fighter, but yeah, yeah. every man? No, no. Not every man walks into a room thinking about who they can beat up. That's yeah. that's not, uh, like, my my husband would just be like, dude, chill. <laughs> Buffy smiling says it depends on what he means by that ew ew <laughs> well it's back at Walsh's office Giles decides to pay her a visit he tries to be nice friendly introducing himself making mythology jokes likening the halls of the building to the labyrinth on Crete but Walsh just isn't there for it wants to know why he's there he's looking for Buffy Oh, well, she's not there. But if she sees her, Giles tells Professor Walsh that Buffy's been very influenced by her class. She quotes her all the time. Kind of makes her sound a bit like an intro to psych book. Walsh makes it clear she does not teach from the book. Giles, Professor Walsh's intro to psych class is the most serious as a heart attack thing you will ever take. If you had seen that first lecture of hers. Oh, yeah. Like, intro to psych. (laughs) Is, like... Yeah, yeah, that, like, I've never seen an intro to psych class that is that serious business, like. Yeah, Willow wasn't injured, so she should have done all of her homework when she was heartbroken from Oz. No excuses. Yeah, yeah. See, that's the thing that I always get about, about a lot, like, like, college courses in media. They really, they really treat these professors like it's the most serious thing where, most of the time, the professor is just as hungover as you are. <laughs> but she's glad she's inspired by the material. She's a bright girl. She's just been lacking encouragement in an academic setting. Well, yes, because every teacher administrator that believed in her besides Giles has gotten horribly murdered. Yeah, that's why you're still alive, Professor Walsh. She's yeah. kind of a bitch. Giles says he believes in letting young people discover their own talents. If you continually lead a child by the hand, they'll never find their own footing. Okay, y'all, I was tired when I was watching this. (laughs) And for a moment, I swore they said, he said they'd never find their own footing. (laughs) And I was like ready to text Hallie like, what kind of British nonsense is this saying? Well, it's like how pudding is just dessert for the British people. I thought it was like there was like some weird saying, like didn't I was just, I was like ready. And then of course black pudding. Yeah. (laughs) Since we're on the the subject, since, since 
since Caroline mentioned pudding <laughs> being dessert, there was I, I said I said to Owen the one day he was trying like he didn't eat enough dinner. So I said to him, I'm like, if you don't eat your meat, you can't have any pudding. And he's like, Mom, I don't want pudding. I want a cookie. <laughs> and I'm like, OK, fair play to you. You don't get the reference because you haven't heard that song and you don't know that pudding is just but you still can't have the cookie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but then Walsh mentioned hiking because she says, you know, if something <laughs> is true of hiking, then it must be true of life. Mm-hmm. That, that's not what Giles was saying. Not really. Yeah. He just means Buffy is she's not your typical student, but it takes time to get to know her. Walsh does know her and has, found her, to be, <laughs> and has found her to be a unique woman. She's very self-reliant, independent. It's not always a good thing. It can be unhealthy to take on adult roles too early. Yeah, take it out with the powers that be, Maggie. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, they're still thinking like back in the day when 14 was an adult. So it's like, yeah, that's old enough to be a slayer. What's wrong? And then, then she has the audacity. Oh, I got so mad. audacity (laughs) to say that what she thinks she's seen is a response to the absence of a male role model that Buffy clearly lacks a strong father figure. Punch her in the face, Giles. No one will blame you. That would have been, that would have been the last straw. I would have been like, nope. See, this is my issue with the not telling Giles about this, but Mm -hmm. also not telling anyone about Giles that I guess Buffy never brought him up in that talk with Professor Walsh. Now, Riley brought her to meet Professor Walsh, like introduce her as the Slayer, not Mm -hmm. as Buffy, your student. Maybe they're waiting for the relationship to get a little solid. Maybe Buffy didn't say yes at first and took her a while to trust. Okay, we can we can talk to her about this. Point is, the watcher thing doesn't seem to have come up. If it did and Walsh knows exactly who he is. She's just being a huge bitch mm-hmm. and trying to like push their relationship apart so that she's like the real authority in Buffy's life and that Giles feels even more in the background. If she doesn't know who he is, she at least knows like hey, it's kind of weird that the, her her student's school librarian has come to the school to look for her. Um Buffy, maybe she knows that Buffy's parents are divorced. It kind of seems like he is the father figure in her Mm -hmm. life. He's not like, she knows Buffy's boyfriend is Riley. This isn't like her secret older lover or something. (laughs) So she's just like putting him down and in his place and undermining his parenting, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Uh, Why, Professor Walsh? I know, like she's she's doing so much in this scene and it's a lot. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't tell him Buffy was just here. Yeah. That's all she has to do. Yeah. She's like, oh, Buffy was here 15 minutes ago. Yeah. She was with Riley, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Like all she had, all she had to do, seriously, all she had to do was just say, hey, I saw her half an hour ago. Mm -hmm. And that's it. She is the bitch monster of death. She (laughs) is. And she's proving herself to be. Exactly. Yes. And that we'll see later on the difference in how Giles treats his authority such as it is with Buffy versus Riley and Maggie Walsh that like, if she says jump, he says how high and Buffy says, you're going to make me. Yeah. Yep. 
Giles is trying to formulate a response that isn't just fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) And Walsh tells him that she has things to do, but she'll make sure Buffy knows her friend was looking for her. Oh, he's fighting. He's fighting the urge to give her a two finger salute and walk away. Mm -hmm. I just want to point out the art direction uh, that I always love the posters that are in the background at Sunny Del High or the college that it's he sits next to a sign that says drugs kill. Yeah. And yes. his former drug buddy, he's going to meet him. Yeah, but yeah. Earlier at Buffy's party, he sat next to a sign that said girl power and hot pink. And who is more girl power than Giles and has no issues with it, unlike Riley, mm-hmm. who's going to be like, girl power, yes, but woman power, mm, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> yeah. Giles, Giles has gladly held Buffy's purse while she kicks... <laughs> Exactly. Giles would hold all the flowers. All Giles, of them. Would, Giles would buy her tampons at the shopping shoppers drug mart. Canadian reference at the pharmacy if she asked, and he wouldn't be like, "Ew, gross, no." Giles is a girl dad. <laughs> he is a girl dad. Yeah, I think this was the moment. Like, we didn't even really know she was evil yet, and I think this is the moment where I was like, "Bitch, you gotta go." <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's not. She's not evil. Just so much as like a bitch and not even a not even in a fun way too like you know Cordelia. like yeah yeah like Cordy is Cordy was always a bitch but she was she had a personality behind her Matt and like and and also like you could say like with Cordelia a lot of what it was was overcompensating for mm-hmm. everything yeah Maggie is just a grown woman a grown woman mm-hmm. who is doing this for no other reason than she feels so important because of this work that she's doing mm-hmm. that she feels like she can just talk down to people and because and also she has that classic i'm a psychology person so i feel like i need to analyze every single situation and just be an ass about it yeah i've known this guy for 30 seconds i know everything about him i know his weakness i will hannibal lecter him out of this exactly uh, but yeah, so Giles, like once Buffy kind of agreed to be the Slayer again in the first episode, he's letting her take the lead. Like they kind of share leadership duties, but they have different roles. And if it ever comes up where they butt heads, uh, I don't know, like they could talk it out at least. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and they've they've fought they've they've fought about methods of doing things, and you know, but he learned from being around her that and 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 we've we've uh, we've seen through the whole series where he starts out being this very strict by the book watcher to where he ended up where he knows that she has her ways and he has to fit into that now that doesn't stop him from telling her that maybe we should do things a different way but it's always with the two of them it's always a team yeah more than any other watcher slayer relationship like yeah it's a partnership it's not military rankings exactly and a lot of and a lot of what the initiative feels like is how i feel like old watcher slayer mm-hmm. relationships are is like you're a soldier i am your commander you do what i say you go where i tell you to go yeah and we've seen from from what happened to past slayers is that it's gotten some of them killed. Yep. Later that evening, Giles, along with Willow and Xander, head to the cemetery and hope they're not already too late. 
the demon prince was supposed to rise at sunset. But unfortunately, Giles had to attempt to hunt down Buffy. And then he got lost, Xander reminds him. (laughs) And they don't have cell phones. Yeah. Doesn't matter. What matters is that they stop him. They head into the crypt and there's nothing. No demon. No ruptured floor. Nothing. Giles says maybe it hasn't happened yet. Maybe they're on time. And Willow says she bet the initiative grabbed him. The what? Riley and his guys, they're probably all over it. Yeah, they tend to patrol hotspots. They must have targeted this place days ago. Giles is still stuck on the whole initiative thing. (laughs) What is it? And what does it have to do with Buffy's new boyfriend? Willow and Xander quickly realize Buffy has told Giles nothing. And yeah... Willow sheepishly tells him, all while saying that he has to know, (laughs) that Riley is one of the commandos. What? (laughs) Well, that's just marvelous, isn't it? Here he is, spending weeks on end, trying to locate information on the mysterious demon snatchers, and no one bothers to tell him that Buffy is dating one of them? (laughs) Who else? Who else knows this? No one. Xander tells him no one knows. Well, except Anya. But that's it. And Spike. It says Spike knows as well. Spike? <laughs> Spike knew. I love that Giles is most hurt by that. Because, like, of course, Sander told Anya. Anya's yeah. not going to tell anybody else. She doesn't know anybody else if she yeah. blurted it out in public. And who's going to believe Who's going to believe anything Anya says? Because, exactly. And, yeah. and Giles says, no, Spike just happened to be there when yeah. Riley was there. Yeah. He's just no palisanders. Xander assures him it's only the basic stuff, like how Riley is a commando and Professor Walsh is in charge. Professor Walsh! <laughs> <laughs> fishwife! Fishwife is a perfect insult. Oh. So I had, I had to go look up what fishwife is when used as an insult. And apparently it is a coarse-mannered woman who is prone to shouting. Okay, um, when I was in middle school, my play did, uh, my play, my school did a play of Oliver Twist, Mm -hmm. and I had two different roles in it. I was uh, Mr. Sourberry, the Undertaker's silent assistant, (laughs) and I was um, a fishwife. So, like, in the market scene of, like, Oliver Twist arriving in London, my role was to come out with a wheelbarrow full of, like, fake dead fish and scream fresh fish and be just like gutting them and stuff and handing them out throughout this market scene. Again, that was my only line, but it followed me for the rest of school, like through 12th grade of people like shouting it at me <laughs> because they thought it was so funny. And yeah, um, I'm fine. I swear. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I really did dig into the character and make her as coarse and loud as possible. <laughs> that is that is some studying just for exactly a little a little role in Oliver Twist. <laughs> <laughs> Willow tries to come to her defense, saying it's it's not that bad once you get to know her. But Giles is having none of it. Not right now. <laughs> no, she is that bad. Realizing they kind of fucked up. Willow says she's sure the demon is just late. Giles tells him to forget it. He'll stay just in case, but they can go. Is he sure? Because they don't mind. No, no, go. He'll be fine. At that, they both depart, and Giles takes a seat on the stone bench. Poor Giles. Oh, he's just having a... He needs hugs. 
Just leave me in this crypt to die. <laughs> yeah. Hugs and a chaotic ex-boyfriend who just <laughs> happens to be lurking in the shadows. Oh, my God. Because as Giles packs it in to leave <laughs> and exit the crypt, muttering to himself about how nothing is going to happen, Ethan emerges and says he wouldn't say that. He <laughs> oh wouldn't say God. that at all. In fact, he thinks something very interesting is about to happen. Having heard something, Giles opens the door again and Ethan is just bugger. He thought Giles left. Oh! <laughs> and I love how it's so much like Spike when he's like, yeah, that's right. I'm back in town. <laughs> say, yeah. And you're gonna... And he's electrocuted. Oh my God. It's that... Mo- like Giles bursting in and Ethan... Like Ethan being so dramatic in the crypt and Giles coming back in and it's just breaking the mood. Yeah. Oh. Like he's he's hiding out for that whole conversation in the shadows. Like, exactly. He's just lurking there, <laughs> waiting for the his perfect moment because that like he is my favorite kind of dramatic villain. Yes. Like, oh, it's those kids that Ripper was hanging out with the last time. He, they're still hanging out with them. I need to overhear all of this, but I can't let them ruin the drama. Because he is such a dramatic bitch and I exactly. love it. Ethan Rain. Stepping back into the crypt, Giles keeps his light focused on him. He has no idea how much thrashing him is going to make Giles' day. Ethan goes to run, but Giles trips him, leading to a scuffle on the floor of the crypt. As they get back up and Giles goes to punch Ethan, he implores him to wait. Hear him out. Then, if he still wants to punch him, but there's something bad coming. Bad for both of them. Giles makes to punch him again, and Ethan says, no, listen, he has to listen. It's going to need time to prepare. I don't know what Ethan said, because the next we see the two of them, they're in a bar. (laughs) A waitress places two pints on the table, and Ethan says, see, isn't this more fun than kicking his ass? No. (laughs) Okay, well, it's more fun for him. Giles just wants him to get on with it. So crass. They used to be friends. Mm -hmm. When did it all fall apart? Around the time he started worshipping chaos. Oh, religious intolerance. Sad that. I mean, just look at the Irish troubles. God, I love this man. I I wanted to mention something. uh, Sorry, were you going to say something about the Irish troubles, Mary? I was, but go ahead. No, no, I want to hear it. Sorry, I wasn't going to like go back to the 12th century or anything. I just wanted (laughs) please, Mary, go ahead. You could probably be more concise than me. So basically it boils down to Ethan's wrong. Um, He's technically wrong. Like, yes, absolutely, when we are talking about the troubles in relation to Ireland, the terms you will most often hear are Catholic and Protestant. But it it was not actually a religious conflict. It was an ethno-nationalist one. At the core of the issue was the status of Northern Ireland, Unionist and Loyalist, who, yes, historically were mostly Protestant, wanted Northern Ireland to remain part of the United Kingdom. But Irish nationalists and Republicans, who historically were Catholic wanted Northern Ireland to leave the United Kingdom and join United Ireland. The troubles began in the 60s and were generally thought to have officially ended in 1998 with the Good Friday Agreement. If anyone wants a fantastic show mm-hmm. set against the background of all this that deals with such things as the military presence in Northern Ireland, the ceasefire, Clinton's visit, the Good Friday Agreement, check out Dairy Girls. It's three seasons. It's on Netflix. It's one of my absolute favorite series. And it's about a group of teenage girls in Derry, well, and one boy, 
in Derry at this time. <laughs> and it is just like this time, like the 90s. And mm-hmm. it is just, it is so good. Oh, it's like Buffy, but instead of demons, it's the Troubles. And like it's set in the same time period, approximately. Mm-hmm. There's one guy who's totally, completely one of the girls. Um, and amazing fashion and music of the time that just gives you total flashbacks. So much cranberries. Yes, exactly. So good. Uh, that's a very good explanation, Mary. Thank you for that. I, I definitely would have made it so long. I was not <laughs> going to recap the entire Civil War. I was just... <laughs> I swear, because I have done that before on different podcasts. But um, <laughs> no, what I wanted to say is that it's very likely that Giles and Ethan could have witnessed the troubles firsthand in London. Mm-hmm. Because if Giles is 21 in 1975, uh, there was a bombing campaign by the Provisional Irish Republican Army in mainland England, especially in the London area from 1973 to 1975, there were just dozens of, it was either like a post box exploding and maybe there was a call ahead so that nobody would actually get injured, but there were politicians assassinated, like actually like walking up to someone's door, knocking on it and shooting them, blowing up cars, uh, blowing up shopping centers, hotels, everything like that. So I think that I, I don't, I don't, I think that Giles would be in favor of a United Ireland, personally, just because he's based and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but this could have been like a truly chaotic feeling of the world is falling apart when they're getting up to their shit back mm-hmm. in the, his Ripper days. Of that, like, it, the 70s is like the terrorist decade. Everybody cool, <laughs> so-called, was doing it. And they're just going to do their own terrorism in a way, but with magic. And confuse the hell out of everybody in the process. <laughs> They're like, wait, we've got all this other shit going on. Mm-hmm. What is this that's also happening? Yeah. Like, they're not just doing drugs, but they're also getting possessed by demons. And yeah. I'm assuming getting into a lot of fights involving magic. And it's just yeah. it's just too cool. And we never got that spinoff. The fact, and like, because I always, I always love that what's going on with Giles and Ethan can also tie into like um, everything that's going on with Constantine. Like these two guys could have gotten into so much shit together. Yes. Doing craziness. Mm-hmm. Like where is our crossover? Oh, that's what the, the good de-aging CGI that they have now, where I'm not saying I want Anthony Head to star as Ripper in the 70s, but just like, do the Irishman. Mm-hmm. I just meant like doing flashbacks now are easier than uh-huh. they were 20 years ago. Yeah. And we just need to find, we need to find like some great young actor who can play a young version of Giles. We need to get on that. Yeah. And we, we wouldn't have uh, Ethan anymore because poor Robin Sachs has been mm-hmm. dead for 10 years, which is I know. so weird to me. I know. I was looking up cause I for I forgot exactly when. Yeah. And yeah, 10 years. Because uh, I know him also, besides, obviously, Buffy is my introduction, but as an audiobook narrator. Mm-hmm. So as you guys are going to be on my podcast, talking Yay. about Titanic. Yes, um, yeah, that, there's, the new, there's the news that we will get to, we, we'll get to yes. at some point. Yes. I, yeah, I'm not going to get into detail about that right now. It's just that, like an audiobook I'm listening to is called Voyagers of the Titanic by Roger Davenport Smith. 
and Robin Sachs narrates it. And I'm like, well, this is perfect. What serendipity. Mm-hmm. Um, I also love that he was married to this Welsh actress, Shan Phillips, and she was Peter O'Toole's wife. Um, and like she divorced him, alcoholism and everything on his side, got together with the younger Robin, uh, Robin Sachs. And they divorced also, but it's just like, oh, I love all the six degrees of separation. I know. Oh, God. Yes. Right. Yeah. Robin Sachs, when, when he passed away, it was like, it was sad because it was one of those things like loved, you know, for, for all the, for only having four episodes of him mm-hmm. on Buffy. Because it feels like 12 somehow. It does. He manages, he manages to make it feel like mm-hmm. there, because I always said, like I always say, like I feel like we had him for more episodes, mm-hmm. but then when you actually sit down and like, no, it was only four. Yeah. But he fills we, so much time with mm-hmm. what he does. Because if we'd had that Ripper spinoff, what I would have wanted is him popping up like very often, but as like the cue to card Mm -hmm. of just like sowing chaos and like you're getting too stuffy you're getting too brooding i need to come in here and shake things up and give you a reason to like get up in the morning and i do mean get up Mm -hmm. (laughs) i'm sure mary's going to get into the sexual subtext oh yeah oh yeah yeah. like yeah the way that yeah yes that's coming up the subtext is rapidly becoming text oh (laughs) yeah oh yeah yeah um yeah anyway Giles goes to get up and Ethan tells him to hang on. He'll tell him. There's been a lot of talk in the darker circles of the world. Whispers and rumors. Something's hunting demons. Something's hurting demons. And it's not the Slayer. Know anything about that? Well, what are the demons saying? Ethan says with demons, it's all riddles and blank verse. Pain is bright as steel. They're scared especially of something called 314. It's apparently the type of scare that turns to angry. Ethan knows the two of them aren't particularly fond of each other, but they are a couple of old mystics. Is is that what the kids are calling it now? (laughs) (laughs) This new thing, it's popping up in places where it doesn't belong, throwing the world out of balance, and that's worse than chaos. They're headed quite literally, for one hell of a fight. As are we, with Buffy and Riley as they do a bit of sparring. But first, I I need us to appreciate that Ethan actually came to help. Sure. Yeah. He also came to be a dick. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He came to be dramatic. He came to help. Yeah. Yeah. There's no practical reason for the thing he does next. Just shits and giggles. Um... But yeah, why was Ethan in that crypt in the first place? He's there before Giles is. So to me, like, I thought at first maybe he knows about this prince, whatever his name is, rising. Or he saw the initiative, like, sneaking along in their camo and, like, I'm assuming face makeup, followed them, like, went into the crypt after them and checked it out. And he's like, aha, proof. And then, oh, shit, it's Giles. And then hides. (laughs) That's the best explanation for me. But also, like, he's here to give you information. A bit like Spike will be sometimes mm-hmm. yeah. uh, for Buffy. I do like the, I thought, I mean, I can't believe I didn't think of it before, but, like, people often make a lot of parallels between Spike and Young Ripper, that they have the similar accents, the devil-may-care mm-hmm. attitude, the smoking, everything like that. But really, it's more like, Ethan's a bit more like Spike, and mm-hmm. Ripper's a bit more like Angel, that like Spike's a little scared of Angelus, 
that like he's bigger and like could headbutt him to death. And Spike is more chaotic and fun loving and he's doing things just for the lulls and he's impulsive. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, Angel's going to draw things out and he's going to be, like, intellectual about it somehow in his statism. <laughs> yeah. I find that a really interesting parallel. And also, we have the text of, well, we never had sex except for that one time. Yeah. That <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, now I'm thinking about this. <laughs> because, honestly, I, no, I, th- I think the first way was more correct. Because when we okay. saw Young Giles, Young Giles was the, like, hit him in the face. Yeah. Hit him in the face. And Ethan's like, I have this diabolical plan yeah, that I've been yeah. calculating for 637 years, and it's still going to go <laughs> yeah. wrong because I'm a dumbass like Angelus is. Yeah. The no. thing that always, him. Hit him. The thing I always thought about band candy is that it's not 100% accurate portrayal of the way these characters were in their teens. That is mostly about removing their yeah. inhibitions and so as we as we know, they don't lose any of their memories or their relationship statuses. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like Joyce is suddenly like, I got to go see my boyfriend Hank or anything. Um, that it's them at like their most id version of themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's why like Xander doesn't become 12. He's just Xander, which is rather id focused. So I think that probably <laughs> Giles in high school with like his father over his shoulder was more responsible. Like he wanted to be more like cool guy, Sid Vicious, but couldn't. <laughs> Not that Sid Vicious was a thing when he was in high school, but you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Buffy and Riley, they're going at it in one of the school's small gyms and they seem to be having fun, circling one another, getting in a few hits. Grabbing Buffy, Riley asks if she's holding back. Is he? Maybe a little. Well, then maybe she's holding back a little too. Riley says he'll go out if she does. Is he sure? Absolutely. So they go all out and the match ends very quickly when Buffy kicks Riley across the room into a pile of unused mats. She's by his side in an instant though and feeling just terrible. She asks Riley if he's hurt and there it is. The first glimmer of the fact Riley really isn't okay with this. With the fact that she's that much better than him. Still, he plasters on a smile and says he's fine. Again, she goes to apologize, but he says it's okay. He promises. Good. Back at the bar, Giles is knackered. Oh. Telling Ethan that he's been fighting demons for 20 years. But Maggie Walsh and her Nancy boy soldiers show up. (laughs) And six months later, demons are pissing themselves with fear. They never even noticed him. We noticed you, Giles. We did. (laughs) We, We see you. We see you. And there are plenty of times when you get your your own in. Uh, like, I always think of bad girls and, like, his sword fighting mm-hmm. abilities. He doesn't get to use that sword often enough. No. Ethan says, who's Becky Walsh? <laughs> oh, she's horrible. She said he was an absent male role model. Absent his arse, he's twice the man she is. <laughs> Ethan's next line yes. is about how someone is very attractive. And for a moment, we're supposed to believe it's Giles. Because it is. Ethan should tell himself. Ethan's trying to make him jealous, very clearly. And even even Giles' face. Mm -hmm. Like, he's not surprised. No. This is not the first time he's heard something like this from Ethan. No, and it's it's the first time in a long time, probably. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're still very attractive. Yeah. That's what he's hearing. And, And you know what? It also, it like, it also makes me think of that moment when your significant other is going off about somebody else. And it's like, yes, you are very pretty. Yes, you, yes. 
I'm trying to make you feel better. <laughs> but no, Ethan's talking to the waitress, giving her his phone number. Giles says they need to face it. They've changed. Well, maybe not Ethan. No. He's still sadistic and self-centered. Ethan says, here's to him. <laughs> That's what you love about him. But Giles continues. Somewhere, someone snuck in and left a couple of has-beens in their place. The initiative? Yeah, their methods cause problems, but they get the job done. What is he? An unemployed librarian with a tendency to get knocked on the head? Ethan tells him he doesn't have to worry about that any longer. When he went to the loo, he slipped a small pellet of poison in his drink. He'll be dead in an hour. (laughs) There's silence. Slightly horrific silence. And then, just kidding! (laughs) Giles is drunk enough that he finds this hysterical. Because it just feels like a moment that between two friends just messing around with each other. He does mention that he's going to feel like hell in the morning, though. Forget it. Relax. Enjoy the night. Ethan says there's still a couple of sorcerers. The night is their time. A time for magic. (laughs) To Uh magic. (laughs) And what happened? We don't know. No, we don't know. But, like, let's not pretend it's purely coincidental that right after that, we got in Willow and Tara. Thank Mm -hmm. you for noticing that. Yes. Also engaging in a little magic, Willow being our bisexual queen. So, like, if we needed anything else to further the narrative that once upon a time, aka the 70s, Ethan and Giles fucked. And there's (laughs) also... They did. There's also a lot, like, because it goes... You know, you have you have Buffy. Like, there's a lot of sexual undertones with all of these scenes. You have the scene with Riley and Buffy when they're working out and fight, you know. Or going at it as Mary. Yes. And then this whole scene with Tara and Willow is very, has sexual undertones. Like, this, them in the middle of these two scenes, it just... It's like bookends. Yeah. I have um, the, the quote, the like word of God from Jane Espenson who wrote this episode. Like I found the source for it because I'd never known where I got this from exactly. So this was a con, a writer con 2004 in Las Vegas. And somebody who went to it as like a convention goer slash thick writer. And I do mean slash in that case. Um, all right, so she, like Jane Espenson had like a talk, and uh, where is it? Okay, so yes, she absolutely believes that Giles and Ethan had some kind of sexual history together. As she put it, come on, they both went to public school. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 no, I had seen that, I had seen that too at some point. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it's nice to get comfort, like a lot of stuff that goes on in our brains is mm-hmm. just our brains doing what they do and yeah. seeing subtext where there might not necessarily be subtext. Mm-hmm. But to have a confirmation that, yes, these two men, when they were younger, it was more than just them being friends. And like the way that Robin and Antony, in their few scenes together, mm-hmm. like these two amazing British actors put so much into their few scenes together that yeah. it's easy to, and that's why we call them exes because mm-hmm. they, they made choices with their acting. Yeah. That there's attention to them 
that's very much uh, Charles Xavier and Eric mm-hmm. Lencher. Exactly. Um, and I, I will forever love X-Men First Class for delving into that. I would okay. watch three straight movies of them hunting Nazis together, as well as finding other mutants. So Mary, so Mary, is, not, Mary is not a fan of, of those movies. Okay. So but just, wait, no, okay. no, no, we don't need to go into, we don't need to go into it. But just the I two just, of them, <laughs> the two of them in their casting. Yeah. Was great, Mary. We we have gone over this so many times. I think we've. They're even- the first class. They're right there. Yes, they're right, they're right there. They're right there. But there's, the cast- there's like five of them, and they're right there. And you just went no. But the casting of <laughs> James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender. Yes, as well, yeah, Charles and. <laughs> yeah, I mean they're not Patrick Stewart and no. And- but you can Helen. see you can see how those two get to like how those two go on to be Patrick's like it yeah. is great casting for those two. Yes. But yeah, like yeah. the way those that they prequel movies should have been a totally different timeline, just yes. like the new Star Trek movies, because nothing yes. lines up. All they want is Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. Like, okay, fine, it's another version of Wolverine. Just give yeah. us that and then everything would line up. My point was simply that <laughs> yes, I they, could the, they no, were allies, yes, and possibly lovers, and nobody would understand each other the way that they would. And then they have like totally different methods. Like something bad happens, they uh-huh. have this falling out. But like forever, Magneto's kind of dropping in to fuck things up, and you know you're you're set in your ways. Get over, come back with me. We'll we'll do this together again. Take my that's hand. Why, that's why I was trying. That's why I was trying to head off. Because I'm Mary- sorry, Mary. I didn't put this one thought. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I just I should have picked a different example. No, it was. No, no, no. I mean that's a great example, and it's it's even better in the comic realm because there's like the whole thing where like Charles fucks off to space for a while in the seventies, and yeah. Magneto, who's mainly a villain, is like, okay, I'll come run your school for you. <laughs> off in fucking space, I'll stop being a villain. It's cool, and then you're just like, okay, okay, sure. Sure. I will watch your I will watch your children for you. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like during the whole new mutant thing, so it's yeah. like all sorts of like fuckery are going on because that's like with Ileana and like all that. It's just oh, it's so 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 good, so okay. good. <laughs> but yes, they're I mean they're a great example. Yeah. <laughs> all right, back to Atlanta. <laughs> It's also the fact that Giles, when we hear him listening to music or playing music, mm-hmm. he's not playing like punk music the way that like the picture of him with Anthony's head on Sid Vicious's body back in the yeah. dark age. Yeah. Um, the the parallels with Spike and like the time period. It seems like he was more into glam rock and mm-hmm. psychedelic oh, yeah. rock. Yeah. And yeah. he just like arrived too late on the scene to like make it as a band. And then by the time he would, like, go back to the Watchers in, like, 1980, it's like, oh, that's all dead, man. It's all new wave. The scenes moved to Manchester, and you've lost your chance. And he's like, no, I, the music's changed, man. I didn't change. He's, I guess yeah, I changed. He's, yeah, he's, it's, it's definitely that feeling of just too late for everything. Exactly. You were too young. I'm sorry. Because, like, the Tales of Brig Ulysses is from, mm-hmm. like, 68, 69. Yeah. yeah. And that would be, like, a song he'd be listening to that would blow his child mind. But it'd be like, oh, that's dead now. Clapton's, <laughs> like, a completely different person at this yeah. point. <laughs> Which, 
but yeah, and that like another story now. Yeah, uh, and the whole like yeah, I'm bisexual. What, what of it? That like that to to me, the fact that he listens to that kind of music mm-hmm. and he's not revisiting the nostalgia of the Clash yeah. is again the queer subtext for me. Yep. Yep. Go on, Mary. Sorry. <laughs> Are you okay so, now, Mary? I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> so the two are hanging out in what I assume is Tara's dorm. How did she get a single that night? Nice? It's amazing. It's like all painted and uh, like she painted herself and it's so decorated. If she wasn't a freshman, I'd assume she was an RA. See, that's what I have. That's what I have more problems with than <laughs> New York apartments. Uh-huh. The dorms. Is dorm rooms in mm-hmm. media. Yeah. Maybe she, her, her poor dead mother had like a good fortune stashed away that Tara could inherit at 18 and her dad couldn't control. Possibly. That explains how Tara can move to California and go to this like not state school for her and live in that dorm with Willow later on and Mm -hmm. have a cat. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well also having animals is not very weird because we had animals in my dorm room that we weren't like supposed to have. Secret cats. We had secret. We had secret. We had secret white rats. Mm-hmm. Amy. So Amy. Yeah. So like when I like we were we were calling one of our rat. We called one of our rats Amy because it <laughs> felt like <laughs> it felt like that. And we had this whole process where we would have fake fire drills mm-hmm. because we would put the rats. And our and like we had fish too in the closet. Like we had we made sure that they could hot we could hide these cages because when they would go through and check the dorms, they couldn't open anything up. Mm-hmm. So we could hide our and they like if they hear scratching in the the closet, they couldn't open it. They legally could not open any kind of cabinets. Oh. So they would go through and they would check to make sure everybody was out of their dorm. So if they would see the rats out, they would be able to say something. But if they were hidden or if they were under something, they wouldn't be able to do anything about it. Plausible deniability. (laughs) Yeah. Like a friend of mine had a full microwave that she wasn't supposed to have and they took (laughs) it from her, but she had it like under a chair covered up, Mm -hmm. but they must've lifted up the cover to see that there was a microwave. Mm -hmm. And she was like, you did an illegal search and she got it back. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You find out, you find out a lot of stuff and <laughs> figure out ways in, in college. Well, I was glad Tara wanted to get together. She knows it's late and Tara shows her that's not an issue, but she was glad she called. Willow promises they'll start out slow. The two of them sitting on opposite sides of a circle and clasping hands. As they close their eyes, Tara realizes she doesn't know what they're doing. Oh, right. They're going to float a rose and then use magic to pluck the petals off one by one. (laughs) Apparently, to do so, their minds have to be perfectly in sync. So it's kind of also a test of sorts. See how well they merge. Also, it should be really pretty. Audience, if you could just see the way that Froggy is... Gesturing and facial gesturing and like eyebrow waggling. See, that's why they, there's so many times when I am sad that this is an audio medium. Yes, I am making all of these gestures because it just goes back to what we were saying a couple minutes yeah. ago. The symbolism is there. Like they are, it is blatant in this yeah. scene. Like, 
you know, it's a little more subtle in the previous scenes. Mm-hmm. But the whole, our minds have to be yeah. in sync. And it's just, <laughs> like, it's it's a very G-rated mm-hmm. sex scene. Like, yeah. that's, that's the only thing I can say about it. Like, uh-huh. we can't. Because, as I said, me watching this in eighth grade, I picked up on none of it. Not until, even when... Buffy and and Willow are having that discussion in New Moon about like why Oz is leaving mm-hmm. and, and like why Willow's okay with that because Tara. I'm like, what's the big deal? Why can't she be friends with Tara if she's also <laughs> with Oz? <laughs> <laughs> They're just gals being pals. Yes, yeah, yeah. Oh, they were just roommates. Yeah. They clasp hands again and begin. It takes a moment, but soon a light begins to emanate from the circle. And a light wind begins to blow. The rose ever so slowly begins to float. When it reaches the height of their clasped pans, both girls open their eyes. It worked. Now for the petals. That's when the rose goes haywire. (laughs) Zipping around the room, bouncing off things, coming very close to impaling them. Eventually it lands back in the circle, its buds burned off. What was that? Willow doesn't know. Tara says at least the petals are off. Bless Tara. (laughs) Just just bless Tara. Bless her. I love, I love her. I also noticed Tara's got a little bit of a, a grunge look mm-hmm. going on. I don't know if that's because it was late or if they're still trying to find Tara's style, kind of going between 90s grunge and the more like hippie-esque style we'll yeah. see her take on later. Because uh, this is my first episode with you guys with Tara and they do not know how to dress. I can't call her plus size because she's really not. Yeah. She's like a yeah. normal person size. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But by 90s television standards, youths, uh, this was like the biggest woman on TV where it wasn't like a plot point, like Roseanne or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like they never draw attention to it. They, nobody ever like calls her, quote, fat yeah. in this show. But the fact that she's next to very tiny Sarah Michelle Gellar and Alison mm-hmm. Hannigan, she looks bigger by comparison. And they don't know how to put her in clothes that, like, fit her and flatter her into, like, season six. Yeah. Because, like, I'm still in love with that corset dress from Once More With Feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, when she really does look like a goddess. But, you know, I get it. You know, she's 18, 19 years old. She doesn't know how to figure out her style yet. That is very fitting. Hair. I hate the hair so much this season. And the also, it's, it's, not just, it's not just, like, her body itself that they're not sure about. Yeah. It's also because she is the first lesbian character mm-hmm. that we have. So we, again, in the 90s, it being a different time, we have to do something to draw on the fact that she is not a straight girl. Yeah. We have to highlight somehow that, and and it's also like when you think about like in the 90s, you had the whole, it was a whole Lilith fair era and it was considered lesbian music because it was like that's like that's the only way that i can can describe to our audience who weren't alive at that time that it was all about female empowerment Mm -hmm. it was a very earthy you know they they chose lilith yeah so it you know it was a very it was a very interesting time and we have to we have to show that this is not a straight girl where anybody in the nineties, you know, you know, lesbian, she would have just like a regular person, you know, like, yeah. 
you know, we have to like we have to try to find the extreme without making it butch by yeah. any standards. You know, like it's it's really it's really hard. Like again, it's really hard to describe the uh-huh. the way that lesbians were portrayed in media in this era. Yeah. And the fact that she's shy too. Exactly. Yeah. And like her whole thing is she doesn't want she's not she's not front and center trying to look for attention. Yeah. The next morning takes us to Giles's place where his alarm is going off. He switches it off and gets out of bed heading down the stairs. About halfway down, he stops to look in a mirror and we see that Giles has been turned into a demon. <laughs> With a no, he goes to pound the wall only to end up putting holes in it. <laughs> Obviously, he knows who's to blame. Of course. Ethan. It's his ex-boyfriend's fault. And we never see the spell that did it to him. We just see the spell that undoes it. This and, is true. Uh, maybe, when, when did that spell happen, Giles? Did it happen at your place, maybe, when you did a little spell together? Maybe you, yeah. shouldn't have, maybe you shouldn't have brought him home with you. You should have known better. Maybe you should have used protection. <laughs> spell protection. <laughs> a ward. Yeah. Yes. You know better, Giles. <laughs> It's been a long time since Olivia left. Yeah. He goes to try and call him, but breaks the phone. Goes to put on a shirt, but rips it. (laughs) And then when he finally grabs a blanket to use as a cape-like thing and leaves, he tears his door off the hinges. (laughs) He is not having a good time. And here I'm... Okay, so here I'm having another Mandela effect moment. Um, Kind of like amends when I swore Giles slammed the door in Angel's face. Mm. I swore... Swore there was a scene while they were still at the bar where Giles and Ethan have a conversation in Cockney slang. Huh. That's like, just I, I had my captions on so I could accurate, <laughs> accurately like <laughs> capture it and everything. And I, I, again, I'm the only person who remembers this. Apparently, misremembering a scene from Austin Powers and Goldmember when Michael Caine and uh, Mike Myers have a conversation in Cockney slang. I think I there's know. also one in Velvet Goldmine. Uh, yeah. Oh, I mean, okay. I, oh. I needed to bring up Velvet Goldmine <laughs> of like my introduction to the 70s in London and the glam rock and the bisexuality of it all. Oh, oh yeah. That's, that's one of those movies that we talk about a lot that yeah. was seeing it in my formative years. Mm-hmm. What, like, and that was... That was the second that was the second movie that I saw with um Ewan McGregor. Like yeah. that yeah, and that movie. Ewan. Yeah, that movie that movie imprinted on mm-hmm. on my brain. Yeah, especially for the scene of like Christian Bale leaping up and imagining yelling at the television, that's me. That's yeah. who I am. But yeah. he can't say it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's something that happened to Giles. Yeah. And he could only be that when he was with in London with Ethan mm-hmm. and there were no watchers telling him what to do. Yep. And okay, so semi piggybacking on that, the <laughs> next moment with Willow and Buffy was one I swore came much earlier in the season. <laughs> like right after she and Riley first kissed. Yeah. But I guess not. The two of them are sitting, having breakfast, and Buffy is singing the praises of all the breakfast foods. (laughs) Pancakes are amazing because they're stackable. And waffles, you can put things in the little holes. Willow thinks Buffy should always have a new boyfriend. She's fun (laughs) right now. Yeah, well, what about her? Buffy didn't hear her come in last night. Where was she? 
in the chem lab by herself. So does this imply that Willow crashed with Tara last night? Or did she just come in so late that Buffy was dead asleep? Who knows, but Willow's wearing a fucking rainbow shirt today. (laughs) Yes, she is. Speaking of making things clear. (laughs) (laughs) Not that Willow was averse to colors before, but it's a pretty big rainbow. (laughs) Willow does tell Buffy about the rose spell, though, how it went haywire. Willow thinks it might be due to someone else performing magic as she felt kind of a dark presence. Buffy says she'll talk to Giles. Or Maggie. Oh, she's Maggie now. (laughs) She seemed kind of interested in learning about the most, the mystical side of things. Willow tells her to tell Giles. He's feeling kind of hurt. Why didn't Buffy tell him about Riley being a commando? She did. She didn't? Well, you know, at first Riley said not to say anything. And then once the cat was out of the bag, she kind of forgot Giles didn't know. (laughs) Willow says she thinks... He's feeling kind of out of the loopy. And Buffy promises to make it up to him when she sees him tomorrow. Today, she's spending the day with Riley. Well, I forgot. She does that every day. The earth rotates. (laughs) Hey, it's just, it's going so well right now. Or she thinks it is. She kind of kicked him across the room. They were sparring and he said not to hold back. So, but he said he was okay with it. Yeah, usually when that happens, they're not okay with it. Does Willow think he's okay with it? Willow does, because she can't hold back. She can't pretend to be less than she is. Buffy makes a face and Willow asks what? She held back a little. (laughs) Needing help, Giles heads to the basement of sadness to wake Xander up. (laughs) He's a bit appalled to find him still sleeping at 10.30. Um, sir, if this was your first stop, what time did you get up? Well, he had an alarm, too. Like, he woke up with the alarm. Yeah, so, so must have well, it also must probably have... took him time to slink about in the shadows so that nobody saw him yeah. to get freaked okay. out by his very presence. <laughs> yeah, Giles knows that he must have set an alarm knowing he'd be hungover in the morning, so he let himself sleep in a bit till, like, mm-hmm. 10 a.m. And but Xander doesn't, like... He's 18. He doesn't drink. He doesn't have a fake ID with a mustache on it. (laughs) Man with a mustache. He attempts to wake Xander and explain the situation. But while us, the audience, can understand Giles, no one else can. As everything he says comes out in the language of the demon. So, of course, Xander panics and calls for help while throwing things at Giles. Trying to scare him off, I guess. Eventually, he runs off and Xander says, yeah. That's right. Run for your life. <laughs> Giles flees both Xander's house and the surrounding neighborhood. Sorry, Mr. and Mrs. Harris didn't notice that Xander had a random British guy as his roommate who never came upstairs except for in the daytime. Then he w- they weren't going to hear, ah, demon, get out, throwing yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah, right? we've, we've, we've discussed at length about yeah. how bad they are as parents. Mm-hmm. That evening, where have they been all day? I know. It was <laughs> it's, 10.30 in the morning. It's, it's definitely dark now. So it took Xander that long to go tell people he was attacked by a demon? I think uh. the issue is that, again, no cell phones. He had to walk or bus to campus. <laughs> he had to 
find all of the usual places Willow and Buffy would be. Willow's probably easier. She said, oh, yeah, it's the day ending in Y. Buffy's with Riley. Now they have to go find them. And it's like, next thing you know, six hours have gone by by the time they get to Giles's. See, once again, everything is easier these days because yes. everybody has a cell phone. Yes, yeah, send me yes. your location and we'll meet we up. Have, we, or we, have, we have a group chat, you know? Yes. Every- <laughs> Because I know it has to take place at night in order for Spike to be in the next scene. Yes. But maybe if Giles had been, like, still asleep, it's 1.30 in the afternoon. Like, okay, we're just gonna, we're gonna go back to the cell phone thing for a moment, because, like, you don't understand how much cell phones changed mm-hmm. the landscape of anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you are attempting to write something <laughs> that still takes place in the 90s because literally we have like comments on this document that we're writing in because I was like, well, they got dropped off and call when you're ready to come home. And she's like, did they give them a quarter for the payphone?" And I'm like, no, they're going to use the phone in the office because we have to keep remembering yeah. that it's like, they can't just be like, what up? Because it's 1998. Yeah. Well, it's 2000 at this point. But yeah, when when we were in college, just being able to have AIM Mm. on our computers to be able to group message each other. Yep. That was like and we didn't we none of us none of us really used phones on campus Mm -hmm. because once we got once we got AIM, we were able to just quickly message each other. We wouldn't have to pick up the phone. Yeah. I would be like in the library, like in the computer lab and like messaging my friend in her dorm. Like, do you want to go get lunch? I'm hungry. (laughs) So they head to Giles's and as they do, Xander describes the demon mentioning its horns and tufty ears. Buffy is sure Giles will know what to do. However, when they get to Giles's apartment, they find it a mess. Doors still off the hinge, holes in the wall. Looks like Xander wasn't the only one who got a visit. Lily says there's no blood. That's good. Maybe the demon just took him somewhere. But Anya, picking up the torn shirt, says she thinks the demon ate him. Maybe swallowed him whole, Anya, because, again, no blood. On everyone's horrified looks, we jump to the cemetery, where Giles is wandering, having his turn at being Dickensian. (laughs) And Spike is measuring crypts. Seeing Giles, Spike gets very excited. A demon, a.k.a. the things he can kill. (laughs) Giles is just done. Because, yeah, of course, Spike (laughs) just makes the perfect ending to the perfect day. He says this out loud, of course, causing Spike to frown. Giles? Giles is ready to fight until he realizes Spike understood him. (laughs) Is he speaking English? No, he's speaking Fiaro. Spike just happens to speak Fiaro. Yeah, we'll just add that to my list of reasons Spike was a watcher during his his life. Well, he he definitely, it was... Well, it would be one of his big schemes, sleepy hiring feral demons, but yeah, yeah, it could be when he was at school or something. He just knows, he just knows too much. He's too smart. Mm -hmm. I'm going to bet Angelus doesn't speak feral. (laughs) Angelus is a dumbass. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking Liam. Oh, yeah, he was too busy getting drunk and he wasn't paying attention in poetry class the way that William was. I think like my theory about the, the, the electricity for Spike's crypt is now I'm just thinking of the rats of Nim. Oh. Um, so like the, the movie, The Secret of Nim, it has magic in it. It's mm-hmm. so, like I read the book in school before seeing the movie and I hated the movie at first because I'm like, what is this bullshit about a necklace 
and, and like flying and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the book is more about uh, them like building this underground hut with like electricity that they mm-hmm. siphon from the house and everything. So that somehow Spike's like plugging in cables or like maybe he hires somebody with this money that Giles gives him mm-hmm. and uses that to power the TV in his crypt. It is possible. Yeah. Why the hell is he a Fjarl demon? Did he just wake up all demony? Actually, yeah, he did. (laughs) Thanks to Ethan Rain, he needs Spike to help find him. One, because he needs to undo this. Two, because he needs a good being killed. (laughs) And Spike is just supposed to help out of the evilness of his heart. If he helps him, he won't kill him. Tremendously convincing. Try it again without the stutter. Money? Giles says he could pay Spike money. Oh, Spike likes money. How much? A hundred? No way. Two hundred. Okay, great. So what's first? Spike runs and gets the Slayer? No, no. They need, they'll need find Ethan and clear this up themselves. Buffy never need to know anything happened to him. Back at Giles's, the gang is going through his book collection so that Xander can identify the demon, which was not a giant vulture. <laughs> Willow wants to know how they're even going to find the demon, and Buffy says they'll figure it out. As she offers Xander another book to look through, a door rattles. Getting up, Buffy says she'll check it out. She goes to the door, which they have propped back up, and it's Riley! What's he doing there? They got some 911 calls from around the area. He thought he'd check it out. They get 911 calls? (laughs) They have a tap into the system. Allows them to scan for anything that might be non-human. What are they all doing there? Buffy explains that it's Giles's place and he's missing. Did any of the 911 calls say what did this? No, people just heard growling, sounds of a struggle. Willow's clearly upset by that, but Buffy says they'll get him back. Riley wants to know what they have so far. Books, pictures, nothing. Anya says they have nothing. Riley tells Buffy he'll help. He'll get the whole initiative behind it, whatever she needs. Buffy wishes she knew what she needed. She keeps thinking let's ask Giles, but Xander says he'd be great right now. Find himself in an instant. No one cooler in a crisis. (laughs) Cue Giles being anything but cool. Yelling at Spike about how he's driving his car. Spike makes a crack about said car and Giles says it's perfectly serviceable. (laughs) That makes Spike laugh. Not about the car, but about the word serviceable coming out of the mouth of Fjarl Demon. (laughs) Spike says he has a few of them working for him once and they were definitely more of the light of the like to crush crush now variety so does he have any special powers can he set things on fire with his sizzling laser beams (laughs) there's the mucus thing mucus thing paralyzing mucus shoots out through the nose great in a fight is he making this up (laughs) maybe but if he feels the sneeze but if he feels the sneeze coming on warn him okay again more of the adventures of spike and giles oh it's the best Giles says he doesn't like this. He can feel himself changing, feel this mindless need to destroy taking over. Spike says he should go for it. It's fun. And since Spike can't do it anymore, Giles should do it for him. (laughs) No, no. He refuses to become a monster just because he looks like one. He's human. He has a soul and a conscience. And oh, pull over right here. (laughs) Giles has spotted Professor Walsh walking along the main strip. And well, how can he give up this perfect opportunity to scare her? He does, chasing her a bit before hopping back in the car. Right then. Sanders found it. The demon that attacked him. 
Taking the book, Willow reads out the description of a feral demon. Turns out they're a foot soldier type working for other demons a lot of the time. And Spike was not lying about the mucus. Riley's phone rings and he steps aside to talk to HQ while Buffy asks how to kill it. Like many things, she needs a weapon made of silver. Returning to a conversation, Riley says the demon attacked Professor Walsh, <laughs> but it got out of a small gray citrion. That's Giles's car. The demon stole Giles's car. Why would a demon steal a car? Why would a demon steal that car? <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, poor car. Someone who knows how to drive stick. Yeah, yeah. The wheels in Buffy's head are starting to turn. A demon that steals a car has a purpose. But these eyes, these guys aren't supposed to be big independent thinkers. Could it be that the spells that are going haywire are doing so because someone is using magic to control the demon? Make them attack? Yeah, actually. Well, this is that could draw in a lot of dark energy. Okay. She tells the others to stay there. If someone is controlling the demon, they may ask for ransom. Give them anything they want. She'll take Riley and go to the magic shop. After all, whoever it was may have needed supplies. Scanning the room for something silver, she grabs a letter opener. Not very sharp. Well, then she'll have to put some muscle behind it. Buffy, maybe check his weapons chest. There might be like a silver dagger in there, but... Yeah, no, we don't want her to check. I know, I know. Yes, we we don't want her to check, but... (laughs) Back at the bar, Spike questions the waitress. Says there were two guys in the night before. English, like him but older, less attractive. One gave her his number. The waitress says she threw it away. She saw he was staying at that rat trap and no thank you. Rat trap? What rat trap? The Sunnydale Motor Inn. Oh, the Sunnydale Motor Inn. (laughs) Our old friend. The place where they let underage young slayers stay and she just pays in cash and they never check, like, do you have a parent or guardian or a credit card or anything? Oh, we have, we have, there, those, there's a few of those around here that yeah. pretty sure is exactly, yeah, nothing, nothing good ever happens at a motor inn. No. We tend to call those when we drive past some of them, especially ones that are like set up off the road and there's woods around, we call them Winchester motels. Mm-hmm. We're like, that's a Winchester motel. <laughs> yeah. The magic store must be closed for the night because Buffy and Riley just bust right in. Riley says she shouldn't have done that. And Buffy says she does not have time to play by the rules right now. No, he he meant that he has a master key. <laughs> oh, well, next time. Absolutely. I do like, I do like that. That poor magic shop owner of the week once again comes in. It's like, oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah, yeah. But he, but yeah, he's like cursing. He's like, oh, well. Yeah, he's robbed more often than a convenience store. And like, and it's just, it's so specific for the magic store. Like, Mm -hmm. but this time they're just going through receipts and shit. Yeah. She tells him to begin searching for receipts, sales orders. And he says he doesn't know what he's looking for. Buffy does, because one of those receipts happens to have Ethan's name on it. Riley asks about Ethan and Buffy says he's a professional bad guy. He has to be the one who sent the demon after Giles. Taking the slip of paper, Riley calls it in, asking the others to do a search of local motels. He can do that? It'll take a few minutes, but yeah. All right, then they should get in the car be ready to go. Riley says that he has specific orders. When they find this demon, Riley isn't to let Buffy come along. Buffy just continues to head to the door. (laughs) Did she hear him? He can't take her. He's not. She's going and she's letting him come. That's not her call. This is a military operation now. Is it, though? 
Yeah, serious. Is it? Well, I guess because of the big car chase. I so. mean, like, I, I like I understand that they they made it a military operation, but Buffy did not bust in on their hunt. It went the other way around. Yeah, yeah, yeah and that's the that's the problem with the initiative is they're going to start like making her try to follow their rules when it yeah. isn't going to work. Buffy tells him to roll out the troops then because nothing less is going to stop her. This demon did something to Giles and she's going to be the one to kill it. Heading towards the end, Giles finds he's becoming more and more demon as Spike realizes they've picked up a tail. Military, Humvees. Giles try to lose them but can't, so Giles says he'll just jump out. With any luck, the Humvees will keep following Spike. Hey now, these guys want him too. Maybe he wants Giles to split their attention. He'll pay him another hundred. Okay. <laughs> Giles jumps out and the Humvee follows Spike and we go to see Ethan, who is working on getting the hell out of Dodge, <laughs> as he does. Giles forces his way in and attacks, Ethan trying to remind him that if Giles kills him, he can't undo it. Giles does not seem to care at this moment. Thankfully for Ethan, Buffy and Riley arrive just then. Ethan tells Buffy the demon killed Giles and now it's trying to kill him. Buffy tells Riley not to let Ethan leave and goes after the supposed demon, demanding to know what happened to Giles. Spike, meanwhile, is having a grand old time (laughs) leading the commandos on a chase. He manages to outmaneuver them, finally losing them right before he crashes Giles' car into a wall. (laughs) Oh, farewell, sweet Citron. Yes, this is this is the last time we will see the Citron. Uh, rest in peace. Uh, and then Giles just doesn't have a car until season like, five, September, October of of. So it's like eight months later. Yeah, and yeah. Like, like also, why did Giles even have a car? Everybody walks everywhere. No, Giles drives. Everybody yeah, I know. else walks. Yeah, Giles, Giles drives. And they need a car because sometimes they got to go to the hospital. And I know that ambulances where you guys live are like people would <laughs> rather be dragged there by their broken leg than actually oh, yeah. pay for an ambulance. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, the, the, the joke is unless I'm dying, don't call an ambulance. At the motel, Buffy continues to wail on the demon while Riley wails on Ethan. Eventually, the fight reaches a point where Buffy can stab said demon, and right after she plunges the letter opener into his heart, she realizes it's Giles. Crap. Panicking, she asks if he's okay, tells him not to die, and then questions if the letter opener is even silver. (laughs) A little bit later, Ethan sits in front of whatever he used to do the reversal spell, saying he really needs to learn to leave as soon as the damage is done. (laughs) It's the sticking around to gloat that gets him. Knocking him upside the head, Puffy goes to check on Giles. Is he okay? (laughs) Embarrassed, mostly. Something Ethan's wardrobe is not helping with. (laughs) How did she know it was him? His eyes. He's the only person in the world who can look that annoyed with her. (laughs) They laugh and Ethan wants to know if they're they're done. He'd like to be going now. Going? Why would he ever think Buffy was going to let him go? Uh, maybe because he's human? She can't kill him. No, but the U.S. military can arrest him, which they do. Riley tells Buffy and Giles that he will be taken to a nice, secure facility in the Nevada desert, where he is sure he will be rehabilitated in no time. And he's a UK citizen, and I'm sure this is all perfectly legal. Mm-hmm. Right? 
Yeah, that's where I had a little bit of a problem. I'm like, uh, he is a citizen of another country that is yeah. one of our allies. Mm-hmm. If- uh, there's a lot of problems with this, especially because, like, when you get to the comics, Ethan dies in that prison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, and he never gets out. Which is such a wasted potential, as we've said. Even in the comics, where you don't have to account for poor Robin Sachs' death, you could have him do anything. Yeah. Instead of, spoiler alert for the comics, like, shot in the head. It's like, that's, a, you wouldn't have, like, a final moment with him and Giles at any point. Mm-hmm. How could you not do that? That, uh, like, the, the initiative going boom at the end of this season is the perfect excuse for, like, well, he just escaped with all those other animals and, and mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, demons. And that's how we have him in later seasons. It's yeah. an obvious solution that I don't know why they didn't take. <clears throat> Jaws excuses himself just then, saying if they don't mind, he is going to go watch them manhandle Ethan into a car. Buffy tells Riley thank you, and Riley says he told her he would help. If they had been a moment or two later, Riley tells him she would have figured it out. She's strong. Like Spider-Man's strong. And the way she leads, it's impressive. But hey, give him another week and he'll take her down. Mm. At Giles's, Giles is plugging in his new phone, <laughs> which Buffy compliments him on. It is marvelous, isn't it? See, if there's anything people think he may need to know, they can ring him on it and tell him. Buffy is very sorry. And she really <laughs> did think she told him, but she promises from now on, no more secrets. Giles tells her it's not that he wants her to betray confidences, but... The initiative. Ethan isn't always the most reliable source, but Giles thinks he may have a point on this one. There's something going on there. Buffy tells him she's not dating the initiative. She's dating Riley. He's a good guy. And Giles believes her, but he is part of something they don't understand. He needs her to be careful. Is he sure he isn't saying this just because he hates Riley's boss? No, (laughs) not at all. Though he does hate her quite a bit. (laughs) He wants Buffy to have a personal life, but he also wants her to keep her eyes open, know what she's getting into. We end this episode at Initiative Headquarters while sprayating Riley for letting Buffy break all the rules. She tells Riley to be careful. Buffy acts on instinct, has no discipline, and they don't know where her loyalties lie. Riley, however, is convinced that Walsh is going to love her. Won't be disappointed. She's good at what she does and is the truest soul he's ever known. Blurg. (laughs) At that, Walsh laughs. Says, oh no, 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 no. College boys in love. (laughs) I mean, I, you know what? I don't like Walsh, but I agree with her there. Oh yeah, we all agree with her. It's a very sweet sentiment, Riley. I know it was just such a weird thing for a man of about 23 to say, and it's not the 19th century. (laughs) Riley doesn't deny it, but he knows Buffy will work out, that she'll make Walsh proud. At that, Walsh says she probably will. And as Riley departs, she heads behind a door, down a hallway, to another door marked 314. Dun, dun, dun. Um, Unfortunately, we have seen the return after a very good outfit this episode of Giles's eggplant sweater of frumpiness. Mm-hmm. He wearing that sweater... For much of the rest of the season, as if the costume department hated him or something. <laughs> well, uh, at least it's at least it's not the silver shirt that Ethan. No, no, that he dug up for Ethan. 
Yes. Oh, oh, Ethan, silver shirt. I'm sure Giles wanted to wear clothes that felt kind of big on him right now, just in case he felt like he was going to pop out of them again. <laughs> uh, but I'd also like to note that it's interesting, as, as there's this parallel here to the Dark Age, besides Giles regressing somewhat and Ethan's presence, that in that episode, when he's like called in by the homicide detectives and he finds out his friends are dying, he also could go to Buffy for help, but instead mm-hmm. he's like too embarrassed. I'll handle it myself. This is separate. It's not watcher things. It's mm-hmm. not something I need my charge to take care of. I can do this myself. And that lasts about 24 hours before Buffy has to step in and say, you idiot, you have to talk to me about this stuff. But Buffy has a similar problem, like in this case where she spent a month not telling him anything that's mm-hmm. important or mm-hmm. she keeps these secrets. So unfortunately, uh, not that she picked it up from him, but because she was doing that before, but they do have this similarity here of like, no, 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 I don't need help. I can do this by myself. Although in, in Buffy's defense, I know I've had moments of like, I swear I told you this thing. <laughs> oh, I do that all the time. Yeah. yeah. Or like, like or like <laughs> you have the conversation with the person in your head. And then you never actually, and then the person comes to you and Mary's nodding because we've done this between us. Like, no, I told you. No, you did. (laughs) You had a dream about it. Or, or I plotted out what I wanted to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And never actually said it to the person. (laughs) So the writers had some things to say about this episode and I just copied them straight down because I think as fun as this episode is, we missed out. Mm -hmm. We could have had it all. We felt that Giles was a little bit undeserved, underserved at this point in the season, and we wanted to give him something to be doing. It's always fun to have Ethan Rain back in the mix. Really, this is Giles' midlife crisis episode. It was the first time that we got to deal with a metaphor that was an adult, not teen-oriented at all, and quite a bit of fun. There were a couple of ideas kicked around. We were talking about a portal. We were talking about him becoming younger, him becoming older, him kind of recapturing his youth by becoming, I don't think seriously, but I know Jane Espenson was kicking around the idea of getting teenage actors to play teenage versions of Giles and Ethan and to have young Ethan try to seduce Buffy. I read that. Yep. That was an intriguing idea, but ultimately we went with a pretty straight on metaphor of his questioning himself in the middle of his life and he's turning into a monster. I'm I'm sorry, we, we could have had teenage Ethan and Giles and like, I don't know, like, I don't know if they went straight up teenager, like 20 something Ethan trying to be like, hey, Slayer lady, what's up? But me being like, no, no. Yeah, and, um, I, I, I'm kind of glad we didn't get that because mm-hmm. we did get teen Giles, quote unquote, in Band Candy. We have seen that regression thing. Um, Making him into the monster is like making him a creature that doesn't think. He just does. He's clumsy. He's not intellectual. He's chaotic, basically. Mm -hmm. I can understand why that was an interesting way to play it. Um, And also, uh, Anthony had just pointed out, like, I was the only one who never got to play as a vampire version of myself. Mm -hmm. Everybody else got to. Like, this is the closest he got playing a kind of a one-off monster we don't see again. Um, I do think that, like, the issue here isn't that Giles, like, wants to be young again. It's that he wants to be useful. He wants to be part of the gang. And instead, this makes him even more separate. Uh, It's a bit like when Willow comes back in season seven from England and nobody can see her. 
just when she really needs to bond with everybody again, they're like, where the hell is she? Uh, I can see the the metaphorical reasons for why this choice was made. Um, on the on the Buffy wiki, um, I recommend going and checking out the behind the scenes pictures of Anthony getting into makeup for mm-hmm. the Fioral demon. Yeah. I'm sure it's good. Yeah. And, and we're going to have the body swapping episode later that I would love to be here for. Because oh, definitely. Yes, that absolutely. one's a good one. Because it brings up, it references this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, it does. Like, why don't you, rec- you, I recognized you. Why don't you recognize me? Well, somehow the spiral demon literally had the same eyes as Giles. That was, that was a good thing for Buffy. But it's such a sweet moment of like your eyes because he has such beautiful eyes. And that, that moment. Him. That moment where after she stabs him and you see Tony's eyes. Yes. Like underneath Mm -hmm. the fact that even though they had him under complete prosthetics and Mm -hmm. you couldn't tell that it was even him under there, having just his eyes being normal Mm -hmm. was just was an incredible way to do it because that's Mm -hmm. how. And it also it's also a very subtle thing that Buffy notices about him. Yeah. Like she looked it like she was that close to him, looked into his eyes and knew that it was Giles. Mm -hmm. And the way that he delivers the line, even though they've like put it through a filter to make it extra growly is like for me, when she said this is for Giles, that like he's kind of he's touched, but he's also a bit surprised that like Mm -hmm. she's this upset that she's this vicious, like plunging it straight into him. And it's like, oh, oh, Giles, well, you could have seen how worried she was. Like Mm -hmm. she was just tearing uh, anything out of the way, would not stop. She was Terminator trying to find you or get revenge. Especially because in throughout the beginning of the episode, Giles was feeling like he wasn't being seen. Yeah. And that he was being pushed away. Now here is the proof that Yes, even though they've got their own lives going on, mm-hmm. he still is an important person to Buffy. Yeah. And like they all came together mm-hmm. because they thought Giles was killed by a demon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. But the seeds planted here and in last episode doomed, which, by the way, you guys really made me rethink. I'd always kind of overlooked that episode. I often skipped it on rewatches. I was, I wouldn't would be brought up like all the different apocalypses that would happen per season. I'd be like, wait, there wasn't an apocalypse in season four. What are you talking about? And I was like, oh, right. It was like weirdly halfway through the season. Anyway, but like Spike undermining Xander and Willow and saying, you're just her sidekick. She doesn't need you. She'd mm-hmm. be better off without you. You just get in the way. You're both useless and losers. And he's going to prey on that later on when he turns against them. But like, he's not quite doing that to Giles here, but he's seeing Giles like, we should go get the Slayer. No, don't get the Slayer. I don't want her to know about this. Mm-hmm. Now Spike knows that there's this insecurity Giles has about like, I, I feel useless, but also I don't want to tell her about how useless I feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because like all of this would have been able to be solved if he would have just let Spike go to tell Buffy. Be the translator. Yeah. yeah. yeah like, hey, this, is, this is Giles. Yeah, you also have to trust that Spike's actually going to translate for him correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Spike wants the money. He does want the money, yes. He'll do anything for the money. (laughs) I'm picturing, like, Spike sending the loan shark after Giles, and as we know, it's a literal shark. Yeah. (laughs) 
I love the loan shark so much. So Where's much. my money, Mr. Childs? <laughs> I can't wait to get to the loan shark. I know, that's... Because <laughs> Spike can't break his kneecaps. He's got to pay somebody. To, you know, this is like a whole pyramid scheme of money going back and forth. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. And thank you, Caroline, for being thank here with you. us. Thank you. We'll get to talk to you next week. Yes. Well, we're recording for my podcast, Rebooting History on Film, which can be found on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and wherever you find podcasts. Uh, we're doing an episode about 1997's Titanic. Yay! Yay! <laughs> if you've heard other episodes on this podcast with me, you know that it came up for a very long segment. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, yeah, this is the first. This is the first time we didn't talk about Titanic. Yeah, because we're going to be talking about it. <laughs> and it's come up in quite a few of her other episodes too, just references to it. And I was like, I think I need to get these two on because they experienced the movie in a different way from me, being a little older. And um, yeah. I need to like not just talk about like, oh, the rivets on the ship are wrong or something. I need to talk about the cultural impact and what it was like to be a oh, girl. Oh, it's yeah. Titanic. Fool, yes. that was, yeah. It's yeah. a historical movie and a historic movie. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell, I'll tell the story from Mr. Frog again. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, make sure to join us next time when we take on season four, episode 13, The Eye in Team. Until then, check out our various social media channels. All of us will be listed in the show notes. And if you like the show and you want to let us know it, you can subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcasts or write to us directly at thewatchersdiaries at gmail.com. Bye! Bye! Bye. Thank you!